Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. Our guest is the lead translator of the Passion Translation, Dr. Brian Simmons. The word comes to life as Dr. Brian shares personal stories of life on the mission field, of pastoring a church, and of taking on the incredible calling of translating this heart-level translation that expresses God's love to this generation, merging both the emotion and the life-changing truth of God's word. After the episode, visit a awordinseasonpodcast.org and find resources Doug and the team have provided for you, including the episode notes from this message. Learn how you can let others know that somebody cares with a donation that will support disaster response and ministry efforts. You can find that by clicking on the Somebody Cares tab at wordinseasonpodcast.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. It's been exciting to go through the Bible that you've been working on in the TPT. Let's talk a little bit about how we first met. It was during the call. In fact, you were hosted the call in Boston. That's right. And then I hosted the call in in Texas. During that first seven calls, we got acquainted through Lou Engle. And of course, you had me up at your church up in New England. Yeah, that's right. I guess it would be 2001 when we first met. In fact, was it right after 9-11 that you hosted a call still? Yeah, it was 11 days after 911, and the mayor got on television the night before the call and told everybody, whatever you do, do not come to downtown Boston because there's terrorist threats. And 50,000 young people came in spite of a risk. It was a phenomenal time. It may not have been quite as big as some of the other calls, but both Lou and I, we know it, it was really one of the most powerful events of our life. I find that it was during trials or difficulties when people press through, you see the greatest miracles and the greatest breakthroughs, like what happened after 9-11 there with you. And then I did the seventh call of the first seven, which was at the Cotton Bowl. And it was so freezing cold, you had to really <laughs> want to be there because people, I mean, I was shivering at the, at the core. And yet it turned out to be a very powerful moment where we pressed in together. A few years ago in Washington, D.C., there was a gathering there with Ann Graham Lotz and Bishop Harry Jackson, our, our dear friend that's passed. And of course, uh, others that were there, Alveda King, and of course, uh, her aunt and uh, her cousin. And, and there was just others that were there. And it was a very powerful moment. They were expecting thousands of pastors at the same time that the call Azusa was going on simultaneously on the, in L.A. We were in D.C., And yet what happened was it was one of those really snowy, rainy, cold days, and uh, a lot less people came. But Anne Graham Lott said it well, that you could tell who really wanted to be there. And there was this desperation of intercession and prayer and pressing through. And those are memorable times, even though they're gruesome at the time. uh, Uh It's very memorable when you think about how God really sees the desperation of our hearts and I'm reminded of a spiritual grandfather of mine was Leonard Ravenhill, and he used to say that God doesn't answer prayer, he answers desperate prayer. So I look back at those days that you hosted the call in Boston after 9-11, and these other times that we've been going through, that this is a great time for the church and a great time for the Lord to manifest himself in a very tangible way. We're in desperate times right now uh, with just everything crowding in on the body of Christ. It's the pressure. The Greek word "thlipsis" is actually used in the Greek New Testament for tribulation. So I think the great tribulation is great pressure through which we enter the kingdom of God. And I think this 
pressure we're going through, not just in America, among globally, is pushing us into God's kingdom, out of our own kingdom into his. That's a great point because some of us call it the big K kingdom, the little K kingdoms. And, and as you know, I've always said, uh, while men reach for thrones to build their own kingdom, Jesus reached for a towel to wash men's feet. And I really believe this is a great opportunity for the church to be that tangible expression, even to those who may not like us or they may disagree with us, but they can't. They can argue that with the intellect and the mind, but they can't argue the presence of God and the tangible expressions of Christ. And Brian, you yourself had had an encounter, a dramatic conversion to Christ in 1971. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and a little bit about your family. Yeah, well, I was um, a very troubled young young adult at the age of 20. I started to hear the sound, the sweet sound of the gospel in my ears. And I went to a country church on August the 8th, 1971. I'll never forget it. And I had a big bang encounter with a great big God who loved me in spite of all of my my issues. And I fell in love with him. And that night, I ended up after my conversion, just hours afterwards, I ended up preaching. I didn't know anything. I didn't have anything to preach. But I was just telling him what Jesus did for me, what he did in me. And I remember there was like 20 guys, half of them got saved. A number of them were Christians, but backslidden, and I, they sure weren't living it. You know, they were my friendship group, but they were not living the gospel in any way. But that night, I realized, I think God has a call on me to do something more than just, uh, I, I didn't even have a, a focus for my life at that point. It was really a conversion and a call pretty much the same day for me. That's very interesting, because I look back at some of the pockets in the 70s. And of course, mine was 40 years ago in 1981, where I had that divine encounter from God that threw me right into the ministry. I think I didn't even know what ministry was. I I was similar to you, you know, 10 years after you. It was something about the pockets back in those days where you had these young people that we were then. There was this outpouring of God in pockets where it was undeniable. And we didn't have to go through these long courses on how to get saved and all these long courses on on deliverance. We were touched by God in very quick ways. And uh, God supernaturally called each of us. And I remember being in my exercise business and I just started telling people what I read in the Bible the night before. And I just saw God begin to do miracles before I even knew what gifts of the spirit were. I was I was operating in words of knowledge. I thought, wow, that was interesting. And to see people get teary-eyed and and so there's something that God had done, and I'm just praying for that to happen in this generation. I'm seeing some, but to really see that authenticity of just the presence of God in pockets of young people that just get touched by God and immediately begin to let their light shine. Yeah, there's something about just that raw encounter with Jesus, that fresh, you know, you're not refined, you're not, you haven't put on the religious garb, you just, you just spill it out. And that's what you and I, and I'm sure many of our listeners here have done as well in their encounter. But I got to tell you that one of the best things that happened to me after my salvation was I found a group of college students that were praying for me to be converted. Uh, One of them was Candy Williams. I fell in love with her and ended up a a long engagement of three weeks. And... uh, (laughs) We got married and kind of threw a wedding together at the last minute. And, and I don't know, three or 400 people showed up and, and we had our wedding cake 
We put go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So everyone at our wedding ate the Great Commission. And, <laughs> and we were just like, we're going to go to the jungle. We're going to go where nobody knows Jesus. And that's what happened after our missionary training, about eight years of training and going through all of that. And we ended up in the jungle of frontier of Colombia and Panama, where the drug cartel had set up base. And we lived there for eight years in the tribe and saw miracles, saw, in spite of us, supernatural conversion of our village. And it just, it wrecked us for life. You literally, when you had your encounter, God immediately put you into this place of calling. I don't want to even say ministry. It was calling because God calls us unto himself. And then he says, get up from this place. And he equips us and anoints us, appoints us to go. And uh, you found that place to go, and you've been going ever since. So after you came off the mission field, uh, what brought you to New England? The voice of the Lord spoke to me early one morning and brought us back to North America and, and led us to Connecticut, not far from Yale University. And uh, we got involved in a wonderful church plant there called Gateway. We saw it prosper and flourish. And again, and, and if we'll just hide, you know, hide in him. He is really good at what he does. And Jesus really did a wonderful work there, uh, sparking. We had renewal meetings, you know, during the early 90s and throughout the 90s and and then did the call. But I wondered, you know, to go from the jungle tribe to ministering to Yale students, how in the world is this going to work? Again, God, you know, he, he, what is it? He chooses the uh, unqualified that will trust in him and lean on him. and. That's kind of the story of my life. I feel unqualified to do everything I've ever done. People ask me, do you feel qualified to translate the New Testament? I said, brother, who in the world is? I'm only doing it for one reason. It's because I was told to do it. So it's obedience. And uh, I, I get a lot of encouragement from people, thousands and thousands of people. And I love the emails. I love all of that. But in my heart, all I want is to hear the Lord say, you did it. I'm working on the minor prophets. I just finished Jonah, and I'll be moving into uh, the last six. We call them minor prophets. Our Jewish friends call it the 12. You know, we call the 12 the disciples, but the Jews call the 12 as the minor prophets. It's interesting because, you know, as you said, we never really feel qualified. And that's so true. I think if I ever thought I arrived, I really didn't arrive. It's really uh-huh. the Lord that keeps us in that place of saying, Lord, I have to trust and rely on you. When I think about, though, you had mentioned a couple of things. One is just the raw presence of God in our lives, that encounter with God. And that's something about the authenticity. People think, well, I have to look like someone to reach them. No, you have to experience them. No, we don't. This generation, like our generation was, we were young, just want authenticity. Uh, give it to me real. Don't give me the, the superficial. Don't give me the shallow. Don't give me just high gloss, which is great to use. But I want the authenticity. When the lights go down, I want that sense of God's uh, authentic presence. And, and I think from the jungles of South America and going to New England, I think what those university students saw in you and, and your congregation, because I'd been there and visited and had the pleasure of ministering there, and, and walking the campus with y'all. I just sense it in that place that many have called the graveyard for preachers in New England, which at one time had great revival. And uh, we've been praying for that, that God would raise up a youth ministry and a youth generation would go to the nations from New England again. And, and yet I think what they saw in you and your wife and the ministry 
was that you had a story to tell that was beyond just theory. There was authenticity and there was stories of real life situations in South America that I think those university students can engage in beyond all the intellectual things that they learn every day. I hope that's the case. I think that's true, Doug. And uh, it's just amazing. You know, our, our daughter was bitten by a Bushmaster snake, nearly died. We lost everything virtually in a flooding situation with an overturned canoe. And I had witch doctors and shamans that were throwing stuff at me like you wouldn't believe. And yet the Lord stood with us and our God is mighty. He is El Gibor. He's the mighty champion God. And my, I call him my hero God. King God yeah. is who he is. You proclaim that message and hearts will respond if it's done in love. So that's a great confirmation because this coming next few days, I'm actually doing a, a multiple churches or having a men's retreat down in Port Lavaca, Texas. And uh, guess what my theme is? El Gabor, the God of the champions. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a good plug for your event. <laughs> there you go. And I say that because, you know, although he is the God of the champion, he is the, the mighty one of Israel, but we are the Gabors. We are the ones that he is the God of. And so we begin to be we can be those champions for Christ. Uh, well. we're, we're not we're not geezers, we're gibors. That's right. <laughs> well, I used to jokingly say back in the early days of my youth, I'd say, hey, come on, be a geeber. And I, I didn't realize I was saying it wrong. It's gibor. <laughs> gibor, yeah. <laughs> you know, as you transition there at Gateway, and of course, incredible ministry plant there, you've actually seen a younger generation come up. You always had a heart for the next generation, which is really uh, blesses me because it's not something you just put on for the moment, but it's still in you and to equip yeah. the next generation. So you've seen pockets of next geners go to the nations from New England. So there is a heart fulfillment of raising up a church that would be renewed and go and restore or even redig the wells of revival. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you've seen happen from New England that are going to the nations. Well, yeah, and I, I, I want to say amen to what you shared and 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 adding to that, it's not how many people came. We had we had a large church, especially for that region, but it was how many we sent out. I think that's the real measure of fruitfulness of a ministry is how many you release and equip and empower not how many you can gather. We saw uh, during the, the 90s, we, we had Holy Spirit gatherings that, Doug, uh, to this day, I, I've not been in any meetings like that. And I was up at Toronto. I've been to Pensacola. I've been in every revival hotspot that has happened in the last few decades. But we had meetings where people were falling out of their car and their parking lot and neighbors calling 911 saying, you know, we, we got to toxic spill here. Uh, there's a chemical spill going on or something because people are on the ground in the parking lot over at that church. We, we'd had the fire alarm go off with no fire. We, we had so many signs that made you wonder. And I think that's a precursor of what's coming. You know, this revival is going to be raw and powerful. Uh, it, nobody's going to want to touch it, I hope, because it's God doing it, and it's going to come with a ferocity that is going to really startle the daylights into the sleeping church of America. And, and we tasted some of that. Uh, you know, I, I'll never forget one time. Okay, our church was growing, and we had uh, an atrium, and there was 
uh, probably 20 bodies on the floor in the atrium. They couldn't even get into the sanctuary. The power of heaven was upon them. And I remember thinking, you know, well, I wonder how this is going to look for visitors. And just as I thought that, this beautiful couple, young couple that every pastor would love to have in their church, dressed nice, two darling children. They look like they all came out of a, you know, a magazine. They come walking up to the door and look through the door and see all these bodies on the floor. And they just turn around and walk back to their car. There's a price for revival. There's really a price for welcoming the Holy Spirit, as we all know. May we be continually willing to say yes to God, to have that yes written over our spirit. If it comes through people we're not used to, we may not even like them. But if revival glory comes, will we be those that will welcome and just say, come, Holy Spirit, this is your life, your ministry your calling. We give it all to you. May that, you know, be written on our hearts. And we tasted that. And I'm so grateful to this day, wherever we go, we have people that experience that at our church that show up in our meetings. It's amazing. They'll drive for hours to when they when they hear that we're in town, because they remember some of those explosive expressions of God's glory that happened. It takes that to birth a church, I think, in New England. <laughs> God obviously blessed uh, your congregation because considering New England, it was a very large church and a huge uh, of influence. And I remember when I was ministering there and when you invited me up that there were people from city council, from people in the region that were, you had every level, multi-ethnic, multi-generational and, and various times of economic backgrounds that were all there together. And I thought, to me, that showed me a sign of Micah 4, that they would put aside their weapons of warfare for harvesting tools together. And would be and the outcasts, the lame, and the sick would become a strong nation. And that was really my impression I got when I was there with y'all. Now, in 2002, I think, after the call in New York, uh, in Flushing, in New York, Marlene Yo and I had connected and had me come up. And and there was a an old school, Bradford College, that originally started out as a as a women's Christian college back in the day. In fact, that region is where Adoniram Judson actually went from. I don't know some of the history books say it was Salem, but they actually started there in Bradford in Haverhill, Massachusetts area. There was a lot of history in that region. So Bradford College then ended up becoming a secular liberal arts school later. And, and like so many Christian schools, it, it begins to digress into secularism. And then even to the point there's no semblance of Christ left anymore, even though it was a Christian school. And from that place, though, uh, it became a secular college. And then they were going to turn it into real estate, uh, turn it into townhomes. And I remember Marlene had mentioned that. And so you and I and a group of others and intercessors went to uh, Haverhill, Massachusetts, Bradford College, I said, wait a minute, let's walk this property, walk the buildings and say, God, it may be being planned to be sold for real estate, but let's pray that God would redig the wells of revival from this place that has a history of revival and that region. And, and unbeknownst to us, of course, in our minds, we're thinking, well, Lord, let Marlene or let one of us get this place and turn it into a place where young people would go to the nations from this place, a, a youth missions movement. Well, it didn't happen that way, but it didn't become real estate. And thank God for Hobby Lobby, and that time was at Zion Bible College, I think, and now it's called North Point College. It is now a Christian college again, sending young people to the nations. Oh, awesome. So, 
So the intercession and prayer, I think, paid off, didn't it? Oh, it did. I remember vividly, and and I was hoping maybe it would be somebody cares base, you know, for New <laughs> yeah. England that we could just put uh, Doug Stringer up there and just you could just release the glory. But God, God has His way, and that's what we want. He has His way in the whirlwind, and He has the way His way in the mysteries. Amen. Well, since Marlene and them are as our Somebody Cares New England coordinator out of Haverhill there, they actually have a, a congregation they've started on the campus. And part of their history now uh, is, is that history, the story of what we were a part of. And so it's really cool to see them engage in this history line. Uh, it's not just a college, but it was they're walking into their destiny. And so it's been great to see that storyline continue. That's wonderful. That was that was a, a Tremendous, uh, tremendous time. You, you told us a bit about your divine encounter with God that changed the trajectory of your life in the missions and pastoring. With all that you were doing and the books you've written and everything else you've done, what brought you to this place of saying, I'm going to do this translation, the Passion Translation, and be involved in this? It's kind of an amazing story, and I will understate, I, I, I will understate what I'm about to tell you. But I had a wonderful encounter after letting go of our church. We handed it over to a younger team. And I said, Lord, should we stay or should we go? He's, this is what he, he said to me, not audibly or anything, but I felt it in my heart. Well, if you stay, they'll wish you'll leave. And if you leave, they'll want you back. So we uh, moved out and I'm asking God what he has for us. And uh, my wife has seven dreams every night. So I expected her to really hear something clear she's just the most amazing dreamer you'll ever meet honestly but she didn't hear i did i had an encounter and the lord gave me this commission to translate the new testament he uh, promised me a number of things he gave me a date that something would happen to verify that it was him giving me this commission like if your wall melts and a light of glory comes walking into your room it's kind of hard to doubt what's taking place but I, I had this um, commission that w- the Lord gave me to do this project. He promised me that I would be persecuted, that there would not be uh, a wide scale acceptance of it until after my home going. And then it would become one of the most loved translations. But I'm doing this as a love gift to Jesus, as obedience to him. It's not perfect because there's no such thing as a perfect translation or a perfect translator. Obviously, it it will need revision, and I have scholars who help me review it and go through it. I just had a a Fulbright scholar that helped me uh, with the book of Hosea, and it was fun to, uh, you know, corroborate with him on that. It's a work that God has, has given me to do, just like he told us to go to the jungle and brought us back to New England. Now it's like this third lifespan of, uh, doing a translation. I've done it every day for 12 years. I hope to finish around 2026. Because it's your heart of humility, obviously, that you knew that it would be accepted and beloved when you were gone and entered the portals of eternity with Christ. But to be honest with you, a lot of people love it now. Again, I I was jokingly saying, you know, stop the madness, but Psalm 2, (laughs) you've outlined, you know, the coronation of the king, act one, the nation speaks. And And then act two, God speaks. Act three, the Son speaks. Act four, the Holy Spirit speaks. I mean, I'm just going through it. The way you played this out, it's like like exciting. You want to see this living uh, play right in front of you that we get to participate. It's not like you're watching. You get to participate 
and the way that you've done this. So I've got to tell you, I've enjoyed reading it and I've enjoyed using it and quoting it. And everywhere I go, people do that. I go, I know the guy who's the senior editor for that. I know the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to see the Bible in, in a dramatic sense uh, because it is filled with dramatic narrative like Jonah uh, just translated Jonah. I'm convinced Jonah died in the whale or in the fish and was resurrected because Jesus used that. I know I'm ruining a lot of Sunday school lessons here, but that he actually died. And because he talks about going down into Sheol and crying out and God raised him from the dead. And then, you know, I didn't realize it was like a 350 mile walk from where he was spit up on the shore to get to Nineveh. I always thought, well, Nineveh is like right there. He like upchucked Jonah in front of a million people, but no, it was all you know, in private. Now the word upchuck is saying it nicely. That's Hebrew. It yeah. really literally means throw up, right? <laughs> right. The prophet made him sick. And, you know, Jonah had issues. I, I found myself even today just thinking about Jonah and how self-centered he was. And then the Lord said, well, you know, that's not the only prophet I have that's self-centered. I got quite a few of them. You know, he thought about the worm more than he did the souls of the people. Uh, he thought about his, his uh, shade there in that hut more than he did about the souls of people. 125,000 infants that didn't know their left hand from their right. So there's a huge city. It was probably, there was a period of, of human history that Nineveh was the largest city on the earth. It took three days to walk through it and well, convert it. Then the 350 miles from being where he is upchucked, that's a bit of a challenge. That means he had to find this new revelation of, of determination that God had really gotten hold of him. Yeah, I love that verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I'm so grateful that my failures and all of my flaws and not doing immediately what God tells me to do, that God will still speak to me the second time. He'll come and give another chance to his people. And I think we need to hold that for America and for our nation, that God is not done with this nation and revival, the steel punch of God breaking through from heaven to earth, that is going to shake this planet with a global awakening. Kudos to Randy Clark, but uh, that there's going to be a, a complete planet on fire with passion for Jesus Christ. And not everybody's going to be converted, but there's going to be a billion souls won in these next couple of decades. And I can't wait to be a part of that. Amen. This is a few years ago. I had a deep encounter with the Lord in my sleep. But then when I woke, there was a, a, a tangible encounter of the presence of God. And I really felt like the Lord kept saying, prepare your life, but also prepare, encourage others to one, stay low. Stay low uh, beneath all the shooting, you know, fire and I mean, all the bullets and so on. But stay low in humility is how you do that. Stay low. And then to draw near to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, so that when God speaks, you can move quickly. So those three things I held on to, I wrote articles about it, but I was, you know, you, you get those things, you get all excited because you get this encounter, but then you don't realize until after you're going through things, or even as we're going through this global pandemic and the, the divisiveness we've seen in our country and other things going on, you go, now I see what God was trying to say, that we have to be prepared for the spiritual battle by staying low in humility, but being very close to draw near to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So when he speaks, 
we can respond and move quickly. Amen. Double amen. Praise Alula. <laughs> now, you've been in ministry, been called by God 50 years now. Um, there are things that we go through. People see us in the in the social media, looks good, peace, you know, we're we're on Facebook and we always look the best. And but in reality is we all go through uh, unexpected detours, dis- disappointments, discouragements that distract us at times from keeping our vision of our destination. Give us something that just that's relatable says, you know what, there were many times I just wanted to give up, but in particular, was there something where you met an unexpected detour that only that place of keeping your your vision and sights on the Lord kept you going? I know for me, as you know, you prayed me through as so many others just a few years ago in the middle of traveling and doing prayer events and arena events and prayer with leaders. And that in the middle of all that, 2015, I was going through stage four B-cell lymphoma cancer, but I chose to keep going. I still worked out at the gym. I kept doing what God called me to do by the grace of God. If I had a day or a hundred more years, I, I felt like I needed to do by the grace of God what he's called me to do the best I could each day even though I didn't feel like it. So we all go through those unexpected things we did not plan on, but we have to press through. So is there something that in particular you remember in your life or maybe a couple of things that you met with unexpected detours, but you're still here and you're still moving forward? Well, um, piggybacking on the, the health issue, before we left for the mission field, I had a very bizarre issue that I I kept passing out. I had a heart problem that surfaced that I didn't realize I had. I said, God, why? I, I want to, we want to go to the jungle. We want to see a village reach for Christ. And, and I got no answer. But during those 10 days in the hospital, one of my best friends came to visit me. He was an un- unbeliever, led him to the Lord. Name was Doug, interestingly. Doug, um, as soon as he came to know the Lord, I was instantly healed and got released from the hospital. The doctor said that we've never had a case like this. We, to this day, don't know what your issue was, but it as weird as it came, you know, so weirdly it left. And Doug went on to uh, reach a tribe in Papua New Guinea. He was a race car driver, and he sold one of his race cars and, and paid our way to the to the mission field, all our family, the sh- you know shipping and our airfare, and got us a few months started there on the in the jungle, and he was in the back of the church counting out hundred dollar bills. It looked like a drug deal going down. I said, Doug, you don't need to count. Uh, if just I'll take the envelope, you know, and a big wad a hundred dollar, and he just like slapping them down. He wanted to make sure that it was all there. So embarrassed, it wasn't a drug deal. We ended up going to the drug area there in Colombia and Panama. But that setback was one. Our daughter being bitten by the snake, it looked like we were going to have to bury her in the jungle. And I just cried out all night, say, God, you've got to do something. You, you've got to bring a, a, a miracle. And the next morning, early in the morning, our jungle pilot felt God tell him to get up early and come to our village. So he landed on our grass airstrip, and we were able to get Joy out to medical attention. She couldn't walk for 30 days and nearly died. I think had 25 or 30 injections of anti-venom to try to turn it around. You know, sorrow and heartache is part of, of life itself. One of the things that set me back as a pastor was a 
eight-year-old girl that died, died in her mother's arms. She was out playing and came in, said, Mama, I have a headache. And she died right there of a brain aneurysm. And, and that shook our whole community and our church. And the mom was a Sunday school teacher and a leader. And I had to really, as a pastor, process this. And to this day, I cry at funerals when I don't even know the person. So I, I'm just not the guy to do a funeral. That was a difficult situation, counseling that couple, trying to explain to them that God is bigger than our grief. You know, we've had betrayal. We've had uh, staff members that ran off and did stuff. We've, we've had to confront uh, leaders with sin in their life, with adultery in their life. And it looks, uh, we wanted it. We took that ourselves rather than publicly exposing that leader. We we looked really bad. I'll just say that way. We felt that that was the way God wanted us to handle this. Yeah, I could go on and on. I, th I think the book of Romans was a, uh, I'd never wanted to quit the translation project, but Romans was a, definitely a roadblock. Paul's a genius. The Greek language is phenomenal. And uh, Paul makes Greek spin cartwheels. And the way he brings the, the fullness of the gospel and righteousness by faith and how he presented the book of Romans so powerfully. And I just said, God, I, you're going to have to help me. And I, I felt help from the sanctuary of heaven to finish the book of Romans. It probably had to have the least amount of editing of anything that we've done. So I, I think every roadblock is a setup for God to break through. And uh, we, we know this until we hit it, until we hit that roadblock. And then our faith has to grow again uh, in, in the ways of God and, and know that he's bigger than that problem that's confronting us. I've studied 2 Corinthians 4, and I've, I've found seven reasons why we don't give up from that chapter. It's one of my favorite teachings for leaders. Another one that I do a lot is uh, 30 lessons I wish I learned 30 years ago. That's a good one. You know, number one is overestimate the value of people. And I look back over my life and ministry, and I've undervalued at times, even the people that maybe cause you problems, to look at them with love in your eyes and realize that God has something great for that person, and to call out that greatness and to call out that blessing that's in their life. When I was in my 20s, early 20, mid 20s, when God had the encounter with the Lord, like that young Samuel where you, you just began to hear everything was like, wow, it, it, God was everywhere, everything. I mean, I was, you could uh -huh. just sense his presence, but I feel like in the last couple of years, now that I'm, I just turned 65, or as I tell people 50 for the 15th time, I feel like the older Samuel now who's called to identify the callings and destinies in a younger generation that they may not see for themselves and call it forth, so to speak. And, you find that our experiences, and, and you mentioned this betrayal, I think that's painful because even with all the things we're confronted with, you know, as David said, I could have handled it if it had been an enemy, but it was my, it was a, a family, it was a friend or a Hithophel, you know, and, right. and so it's, that's painful because these are people you expect to be part of your, your whole story, but they're just a chapter. They're a portion now because they're not willing to journey with you or we can't journey together because of different things like betrayal. And it's painful because, as you said, we have to contain those things for the sake of not exposing people or embarrassing them. 
but they go out and they can they can say all kinds of things, but you you don't have that privilege to do that. So you carry it with you, and that's that can be very painful. Yeah, and I failed that test for the first few months. Uh, I really did. I, I'm being honest. My my heart was so troubled, and more than one night it kept me awake and just agitated and dealing with the emotions of you know of a spiritual son that would do that. I can now look back. I'm a little bit past 65, but I can look back as my older Samuel, and I I can uh, I, I love that person, and I can say that honestly, and I, I really want uh, nothing but blessing and favor, and I'll do everything in my power to this day to empower them and to bless them, and I, I think that's where we got to get. You know, I took communion many times and would just pray blessing over that person, and I still do. When I take communion, I want to make sure my heart is free and no no revenge, no offense, no you know garbage in me that would hinder the precious life flow of Jesus and into me. You know, taking communion and releasing people into the loving arms of God uh, that that was the key for me to really get past that pain. I think you might remember a guy named Will McFarland when he got radically saved. He used to play. For Bonnie Ray's in the Hall of Fame, Music Hall of Fame now. He played for Jackson Brown, so many others. But when he got radically saved, he said you could be cool and anointed at the same time. Uh-huh. And uh, and he wrote a, a song called They Call Me a, a Dreamer. And it was about, of course, Joseph the Dreamer. But he sings it in such a way that it was very motivational. But he used to say that when he got around people that he felt arrogance or he would just say, Lord, I release that vexation. I don't retain that vexation. I release that vexation. So in other words... Uh-huh. He doesn't want it to become his. And David Wilkerson had a great book called Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately? And I don't remember most of the book, but the one part that stuck with me all these years is that it's always the wrong person on the cross. And if we hold on to those things and we don't release them, the people that have offended us have gone about their business while we're still on our own cross because yeah. we're carrying that pain. And then we're, we're inhibited from being all that God called us to be. So true. And you know, the last words of Jesus that split the heavens open What was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And Stephen became like an angel. His face glowed as he released. Uh, you know, his flesh is being torn, bones being broken as these huge rocks hurled at him. And he, he looks at, into heaven, keeps his gaze into heaven and says, Father, the same words of Jesus, forgive them. They, they don't realize what they're doing. And that that posture of of living in a realm of forgiveness, you know, that's that's the key, I think, to really uh, keeping the flow of the life of Jesus vibrant in our heart. Tell us how can people get a hold of your material, your books? Is there a website? And the other is, what has been burning in your heart of recent? And and if whatever's on your heart, to share that with us, encourage leaders that persevering leadership, courageous leadership is needed now more than ever. Absolutely. And uh, I'll, I'll real quick hit the website. It's uh, passionandfire.com is our ministry website. And of course, you can get everything we have. I don't even know how many books are out there. Our, our publisher told me a year ago, he says, we're going to have 300 different books of yours. I said, what? So anyway, there's a lot, there's not 300, but uh, I just do what I'm called to do and let let them take it from there. You can go on Amazon, Christian books, 
com, I think it is. It used to be called CBD, but I think they may have changed their name a little bit, uh, not to mix up with other CBD. You can get it about anywhere. Quick, your website is uh, passionandfire.com. Yeah, I'm Passion. My wife's fire. So passionandfire.com. You can get all our stuff there as well. But you nailed it when you said courageous leadership. The book my wife and I are writing right now is called The Joshua Generation. It's the people of God moving into their full inheritance. And I think this millennial generation is a Joshua generation. And we're going to see great acts of bravery and courage in the next decade as young people really understand their calling to possess what God has given them in Christ. Courageous leadership. Think of all the times where the word of God says, be courageous, be brave, be strong, do not fear, be of good cheer. You know, all of these words that that come from God to inflame our heart, not to give up. And giants just mean we get to see a bigger victory. We get to see a greater display of God's power. And to have that goal line stance with God that I'm going to end my life. I'm going to go to the end of my life. Uh, faithful to you with courage in my heart, uh, saying yes to you when I fall and fail and get confused, I'm going to get back up and go with you. But that courage is what will motivate a generation. There's something about bravery and courage that we need in this hour. And we need women and men that will lead the way into a new dawn breaking of the glory of God in this generation. I'm reminded in your uh, Passion Translation, Proverbs 22, 29, and it says it this way in praying for leaders. If you are uniquely gifted in your work, you will rise and be promoted. You won't be held back. You'll stand before kings. And oftentimes we get those promises and we become discouraged because it doesn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen or we were hoping that. And our expectations somehow superseded the way that God was going to make it happen. But his promises are yes and amen. His promises are true. And uh, keeping our vision of that destination is what's sometimes difficult and keeping our vision of hope. Uh, But I'm going to have you pray in a moment for leaders. And then, uh, but first I'm going to have Pastor Jeff McGee, uh, formerly Calvary Baptist Church, but now it's called Calvary Community, who also can can relate to some of your storyline of just the, the renewal, the things that came into the church and the challenges. Uh, Pastor Jeff McKee, would you pray for Brian? Father, we are so, so grateful for the conversation today and for your your son, Brian, our brother, sharing his heart with us. Thank you for Doug and his leadership and, and helping to facilitate this conversation. And Lord, I want to thank you for Brian's courage, for Brian's bravery, for Brian's willingness to step out with his family and at all costs, Lord, to follow the lamb wherever he goes. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless him and resource him. Father, I pray you'll continue to anoint him. Father, we are so grateful for the impact that he's had in lives literally across the earth through his obedience and his servant, but mainly because of his passion and his love for you. Father, it is contagious, and we ask that you would continue to stoke those fires in our brother. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to fuel him with the revelation of Jesus Christ and and that he would help us 
to become more in love with you, Lord Jesus. Just anoint our brother. We pray for favor and protection and grace for him and his wife and his family. And Father, um, we just we give you thanks and praise for Brian. And, and, and Lord, we just speak a blessing to him today. And may he continue to be strong and courageous because you are with him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brian, would you honor us and just pray for leaders and, and for all of us to have courageous leadership and perseverance? Yeah, well, thank you, pastors, and, and all of you for praying for me. I so appreciate that. Move my heart. Father, I lift up these precious friends, each one listening today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will fall upon them with fresh fire, Lord, that they will burn holy, highly combustible, Lord, that they will burn bright and pure to the end of their days on earth. I ask that you'll strengthen them with might in the inner man. I ask God the word of Christ will dwell in them richly. Lord, that they will find their completeness in you and in your cross, in your resurrection glory. Lord, I ask that you'll strengthen the leaders, Lord, to continue the work and not grow weary in well-doing, because we will reap if we faint not. And we thank you for the reaping season that is upon us now, the harvest season that has come. And we thank you, Lord that with unity in our hearts and, and passion in our bones, Lord, we could see a generation turn to you. And we ask that you raise us up as men and women that will do the work of the kingdom uh, with no expectation other than the glory of God. Lord, strengthen, bless, anoint. May our families be preserved, kept holy and pure our children and grandchildren and generations to come, let them carry this mantle of glory. Uh, Lord, thank you. The nations coming to know you and denominations coming to know you. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do through the lives of these precious friends today. In Jesus' name, amen. And finally, in conclusion, I have been praying from Acts 4, 29 through 33, but I'm going to pray in my paraphrase, how I pray this, because I believe this is something we can hold on to. Now, Lord, grant boldness that we may speak your word with authority and by your power. Stretch out your hand to heal. Let signs and wonders be done through your holy name, Lord Jesus. May you grant your great power to give witness to the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection, and that your great grace would be upon your people. Lord, we thank you that your word says in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I pray God's great grace on each and every one of you, all those who will be listening to the podcast, and all those who will be part of our intensives. I thank you again, Brian, for being with us and just pouring out your heart with us today. I look forward to the next time we get to see each other. and. So appreciate your investment in all of our lives. Thank you. Head over now to a awordinseasonpodcast.org and let us know how we're doing by taking a quick survey. If you need prayer today, reach out to prayer at somebodycares.org or you can call or text our 24-hour Somebody Cares America prayer line, 855-459-CARE. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.